Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we have Lachlan. Hello. Lauren. Hello. And Justin. Do you get confused by the seemingly never-ending cavalcade of new research overturning old research and new ideas and recommendations from doctors from everything to do with brain science, raising children, or diets, do you really want to try and get your head around what's real and what's not? Well, scientists are tackling that, and we're going to be talking today about meta-science and how we prove and verify things that we've researched before. So I'm minoring in psychology, and whenever I tell people that I'm doing a Bachelor of Science and I'm minoring in psychology, people just give me this really sad look. Oh, that's not a real science. Basically, in those exact words, including all the uhs. Um, this is usually by people studying maths or chemistry or physics because they consider biology and especially psychology as the softer sciences because they have to do more with like biological living things. And part of that is because when studies such as psychological studies are conducted, they can give a lot of um, contrasting results. Um, so, for example, one big example is raising kids. Like you're told this is a specific way to raise kids. You should always lie them on their front. Um, as they're growing up, that's how you'll raise them to be good kids and good members of society. And then people do studies and they find out that actually that's the exact opposite. That'll just result in child death and other things. And that's something they shouldn't be doing. And then two years later, another study will be done, which shows the exact opposite of that again. So it contradicts back and forth over and over again. Exactly. Um... This isn't a thing that's just specific to psychological sciences. Another thing that's seen a lot in society is health. So things like chocolate is the worst thing in the world for you, but suddenly chocolate is very good for you. You should have red wine with dinner. Suddenly you shouldn't drink red wine at all. Um, Basically things that just contradict and don't have a specific yes-no answer. And a lot of this has to do with the way in which um, these studies are done. Because they often involve a sample set of populants that are done, and you do your best to have a controlled, double-blind study to rule out any other factors or biases. But a different person coming in the same sort of field may be getting a completely different result, or may be looking for a completely different result and find something completely the same. And this sort of back and forth, it's part of the peer review process, but it means people tend to not trust immediately when they read something when they read one of those diet studies they go yeah okay that's what you're saying this week and they just go with their gut feel anyway mm-hmm. which is you know quite problematic and so what we found is that um the journal of social psychology has actually published a special issue where they've gone through and attempted to replicate 27 of the most important findings in social psychology to see can we reprove the stuff that we already say is true is it actually true and, and, you know, are these big, very famous papers, do they even pass the simplest of peer-reviewed tests, the reproducibility, let alone if it's right, but can somebody else get the same result, ever? For example, one of the studies that were looked at in this 20, group of 27 was research done by Simone Schall out of Cambridge University with her colleagues there. And she wanted to actually get an, an idea whether or not there was an imp, uh, a correlation between cleanliness and moral judgment. So whether or not you would, you would make different kinds of moral judgments 
based upon your ideas of cleanliness or whether or not you felt clean or whether or not you viewed someone else as clean. So really try to understand the impact of being seen to be clean on making good decisions. And so to do this, they took 40 participants and they got them to sort of do a baseline, didn't describe any moral judgments and to do with cleanliness and just get a baseline reading from people making moral decisions. They took another 43 and then showed them a really disgusting scene from the movie Train Spotting. Um, if you know what I'm talking about, it's a really disgusting scene. And then they told half of them to wash their hands and half of them to not wash their hands out of that 43. So 20 did, 20 didn't. And then they got them to make moral judgments on a variety of topics with everything from job interviews, gut feelings of peoples and evaluations or even word associations. And what they tried to do with that is to sort of understand if cleanliness, either perceptions of cleanliness or feeling clean or being able to wash your hands would make any impact on the types of moral judgments they made. And what it showed, this study showed, is that it was a huge, absolutely huge impact on feeling clean and cleanliness with moral judgment compared to the baseline. This was actually a really like famous um, experiment, wasn't it? This got like huge media attention, and it was cited over two hundred times. Yeah, it was like, lauded as a great breakthrough. So, this, and so when things become breakthroughs and when things become popular in the media, people start to believe them. Yeah, it yeah. starts to be accepted as common fact. That's correct. Now, when the special issue came out, a group of respondents did a follow-up study. And they, they experimented um, with the same method, same test method. They expanded upon it a little bit. And they did it with four times the participants. And try as they might, they could not replicate the effects at all. They did not see any correlation between... They did not see any correlation between cleanliness and moral judgments. Now, when it came out, this, this made a very tense political situation between all the researchers involved. Because you've just refuted this very now very famous professor from Cambridge and one of her most famous pieces of research is getting basically told that, you know, you stuffed up, you're incompetent, how dare you publish that kind of thing. It's completely over the top. We did it bigger and better than you and we didn't see anywhere near the same effect. You're obviously not a good scientist. And, and that caused a little potential, very tense circumstance because you felt very confronted by that and it felt a bit bullied by the, term, the tone of response that was taken by the reproducing article. And it shows one of the real challenges about this whole reproducibility test thing. As a researcher, it can be really confronting to get all your work then trampled. Yeah, okay, maybe you got something wrong. And even if you got it wrong, maybe you didn't intend to, maybe you fraud, maybe you deliberately covered up, or maybe you just accidentally covered up, or accidentally did something that impacted your results that you're not aware of. Um, but because you have so much invested in it from your time, from your fame, from your prestige, from your money... It's a really hard thing to accept when someone shows that you're wrong. And to this day, these two, these two groups are actually disputing about which one's right and the response that are meant to be taken on that. That's really interesting because the problem with replicating someone's experiment is you're not the same person and so you can't ever replicate the exact same conditions. So even though in empirical science it's all about replicating the same conditions... That's a really hard situation because you don't know whether it's in the interpretation of the data or... That's really hard. Yeah. So this big special issue of the, of the Journal of Psych Social Psychology actually found that 10 of the 27 most important findings in the last recent years in social psychology could not be replicated. Which is to say that 10 of the most common accepted cultural things that people know just don't... aren't backed up by the science. 
there's a really good example of this is another one that sort of come up and this is power posing is this when I'm on the catwalk and I'm making the money I use to get through university Justin uh, sometimes but it's more to actually do about when you're making money in your job or employment or in a social circumstance and this is a concept that if you've been to any business management classes commerce army training TED talks marketing things, whatever, you would have probably heard about the way in which you hold yourself and the stance can have a behavioral impact on people's responses to you and can also um, change the level of your hormones, exude more testosterone and therefore give you more power in circumstances. That's the most masculine, <laughs> terrible thing I've ever heard. But it was, it was a study that came out where, from the Harvard Business School which basically it claimed that Striking powerful poses caused a hormonal change and therefore a behavioral change in yourself, which led to people being more confident and having better results. And they, they did a study to show this. And it was very widely accepted, touted in the media, and is taught in a lot of places now and mentioned in a lot of places. But unfortunately, for this study, but fortunately for real science, um, Eva Ranghill at the University of Zurich tried to replicate the original Harvard Business School study with some important tweaks. First, they used 200 people instead of 40 used originally. Secondly, they then controlled for experimenter bias to make sure that there was no cues from the researcher because they either wanted it to succeed or not wanting to succeed to remove that element of it, to make sure they had nothing to gain from it either way. So it's like a double-blind study. Which was not done originally. So what they actually did when they found when they analysed these results from this trial with more participants and in a controlled manner, more controlled than the original experiment, they found there was no difference in hormone levels between the powerful group and the powerless group. They also found <laughs> effect on each gender and checked that it made a, di- made a difference depending on who was involved. They went through lots of different positions, lots of different poses. Everything sort of claimed by this theory. None of it held up and there were no significant differences in hormone levels. Now, the only thing that they didn't control for, which is contested by the original study people, is that the people knew that they were getting into a study about hormones and and posing, roughly. So it wasn't completely blind from the participants of the trial. So they they understood about it. And so because it's to do with psychology, the original researchers contend, oh yeah, but if you know about it, the effect doesn't have any power. I think that's fair. If you're replicating a study, you don't want your the people you're experimenting on to know more than the original experiment. I think that's fair, don't you? Yes. Especially in the area of psychology where it's still with confidence. I can, I can, I wouldn't immediately dismiss that complaint. My other thing is because it's related to like hormones would be my thing. But I don't understand enough about that to have, feel like I can have an opinion here. Yeah. So the, the real challenge with this study is that it's not conclusive either way at the moment, but the second replication of studies has shown there's a lot of doubt on the original study. Yes, there's some improvements that could be made to the study, but it's showing that there really isn't a substantial amount of impact on it. And I think this study definitely shows if you know about power posing and someone tries to do power posing at you, it has no effect. So I guess that works, except now that since it's a widely known and discussed topic and idea, it loses all its effect anyway. So by documenting it, you've just destroyed it anyway. So now we can't go back to a world where you can test people who don't know about it necessarily really easily. Which also means the effect has no net impact on the world either, so that's also good.
But that's also an example of, um, it's still accepted as true, even though the original evidence is being contested. We're still learning about it, and it's still accepted in society, and you find that often in society, even if studies have been overturned, people don't really hear about it, or listen. Or even if they have heard about it, are reluctant to accept the truth or change their behaviour. We've talked a bit about in this podcast before about how you can change people's minds and how even if you can change it at the start, it, they may revert back to their old thing after a period of time anyway and how it's really challenging to actually get them across the line and change. A huge example of this is statins. Now, statins are a drug which lowers cholesterol levels and is often prescribed to people who are at risk of heart disease and stroke. Basically, the idea behind it being if you can lower the cholesterol levels, you can lower the risk that these people face and prevent, hopefully prevent heart disease and stroke. Now, these have been prescribed for many people for many years. Now, a couple of studies by prestigious institutions such as Harvard Medical School and other UK facilities actually found that they were more harmful risks from actually prescribing statins. In fact, it was actually inducing harmful side effects and reducing, and didn't actually reduce mortality. And this was actually quite contentious because this caused basically an overturn of the current medical prescription for statins. And so there are other institutes, such as NICE, the National Institute for Health Care and Excellence in the UK, actually looked into it and tried to you know, reproduce the claims and counter the claims. And, accused, and it caused quite a large debate. And all of this debate and confusion actually makes its way down to the GP and leads to a whole bunch of issues that the GP has to try and deal with, isolate and diagnose. Now, the original study was actually investigated and some of the claims weren't retracted but were advised with a bit of caution. But I think the overall impact of this analysis is basically it reduced people's confidence in statins and made people reconsider whether or not actually prescribing statins is the correct way to go. But put yourself in the shoes of the GP. You're tasked with keeping your patients as healthy and as safe as possible. Some research is showing you that there is an increased risk if you prescribe this, this drug and they don't really need it, whereas the, you know that the drug itself will actually lower cholesterol and lower the risk of heart attack, but it could have other side effects which would be negative in the meantime if it's not quite right for them. So you have to make a, a call, and it's quite difficult. How do we fix that, though? Isn't that really scary if the GPs aren't going off current scientific understanding because isn't that what a doctor should be doing is you should be doing to the best of your ability what you know to be true at that time and that's the challenge they they know to be true at that time but they aren't necessarily up to date on the latest work and findings and that's where the real struggle is like a lot of studies on how far how long it takes that research to propagate through to the, the end use level is like 10 15 years and that's not just because it needs to be discovered. It's, I mean, it's been discovered and proven, but people need to accept it, wait for peer review process, wait for somebody else to do it first and then get confident with it and then take that approach. And this gets into the really fascinating but complicated area of meta-science. Oh. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. This week we talk about meta-science, or rather the science of keeping our scientific research accurate, useful, and actually helpful in everyday lives through reproductive studies and verification tests. Our ending theme was composed by Audionatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.